Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussion, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody, and I'm here with my colleague, Kenneth Kahn. Kenneth, uh, as usual, my line is that he's one of the smartest tax guys I've ever met in Canada, and certainly no, no question about that. And Kenneth, we're going to talk today about foreigners, you know, non-residents of Canada, owning Canadian real estate, in many cases, personal use property, but we'll drift into a bit of rental, uh, rental uh, property as well. But our, our topic today is some of the tips and traps that that uh, ultimately need to be considered when foreigners own such property. So you ready? Ready. All right. So let's talk about, you know, um, some of the recent things. I mean, this is not a new issue. Canada is a big country. It's got lots to offer scenic-wise, and especially during our summers. When we're recording this right now, it's in July of 2023, and uh, at least in Calgary, it's been a very beautiful summer. Mm-hmm. I guess. And nice and hot. Nice and hot and... Uh, Some smoke. It's a little bit of smoke, uh, but, you know, it's pretty nice to spend time outdoors and and uh, you can see why foreigners want to buy some real estate in Canada. Maybe not so much in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, some some, some, may, some may be a big skier. Yeah, if you're a skier or like the snowshoeing and things like that, for sure. Um, but recently, Kenneth, we've had a, a few things that have tripped up foreigners um, buying... Canadian real estate, we've had a foreign buyer's ban, mm-hmm. uh, which came into into law January 1st of this year and is set to expire December 31 of next year, 2024. I don't know. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, Kenneth, but I, I think that is a ridiculous policy. Any quick comments on that before we move on? Yeah, um, it's... Such, such such ban is not usually good because there's it's such a bright line test and there's there, there are some le- legitimate reasons why someone really do need to buy a home in Canada even though they may, may not be citizen or permanent residents at this time. Right. I, I mean, I just, without going down a rabbit hole too much, Kenneth, I, you know, the United States, for example, is our biggest trading partner, our biggest neighbor, and, and Canadians like to flock to the United States and buy residential real estate there as their you know, second homes. And somehow Canadians are able to do that still, but Americans are not able to buy in Canada. I mean, I find that very, very silly and mm-hmm. a bit of a slap in the face. Now, thankfully, there's been a bit of an adjustment to that law to allow foreign developers to help build, um, build some properties. But having said all that, I find that ridiculous policy and very political in my view. Um, so we've had the foreign buyers ban. We've had the underutilized housing tax act, uh, which I don't know if you want to provide some quick comments on that, Kenneth. But yeah, the that that, that one there there's there is an, a tax on foreign owners who have who owns property in Canada that that is that remains vacant. Uh, but the biggest problem with that legislation is is the is the compliance that it forces on everyone, um, like 99% of people who file UHT return, underused housing tax return, are not going to be affected by the tax, but they still have to file a seven-page return, six-seven-page return with a with a large, significant late filing penalty. 
Yeah, and the penalty start at five thousand dollars and can be ten thousand. So, um, so real big problems with that underutilized housing tax act. In my view, that needs to go, be eliminated and repealed, and the sooner the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we of course have the myriad of, you know, speculation taxes or what some practitioners call, you know, the vacancy tax, mm-hmm. uh, which are in various municipalities like, like. Vancouver and Toronto and Kelowna and there's no shortage of municipalities, especially in Ontario, that are looking at introducing such a tax. I don't know, Kenneth. I mean, the whole idea is that that that's supposed to encourage people to rent their their properties. I find it to be very silly, and uh, I don't know your thoughts. Uh, well, it, I guess it's it if if the if the whole if the whole goal is to uh, depress real estate prices. I guess it is. It's probably doing something on that regards. Um, even though real estate prices is probably going up, but that's other factors too. Uh, but it's a pain, pain in the ass to deal with. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. And I. I think its stated policy objective is, <laughs> is ambitious and and uh, in my view, I'd, certainly from the numbers I've seen, the statistics I've seen, it's not achieving its objectives. You know, on a, on a scale, uh, but all to say that if you're a foreigner buying in Canada, uh, you've you've got to be aware of those recent pieces of statutes, not pieces, but be aware of those uh, statutes that could cause some significant hiccups in your ability to buy residential real estate uh, in Canada. But you know, let's move on, Kenneth, uh, to you know. You have a foreigner or a non-resident of Canada, non-citizen of Canada that wants to buy uh, residential real estate in Canada, assuming they can navigate the stuff that we just talked about, um, and they and they're successful. And let's say they want to rent the property. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that that they at least need to think about? Mm-hmm. Well, um, so first, the legal structure. Do they want to own it personally? Yeah. Uh, so, which would be the simplest way. Do you own it, or especially if they're renting it, do they need? Do they want to put it in some kind of corporate vehicle for liability protection, uh, which can be a Canadian corporation or maybe a foreign corporation? So all that have different implication. But let's just say they're owning it personally. Uh, so one key thing they have to remember is that there is a Canadian withholding tax regime on rent. So grow, uh, there is a withholding tax of twenty five percent on the gross rent that needs to be remitted uh, each month. And who, uh, who's responsible for remitting that, Kenneth? The foreigner? The non-resident candidate? The, if there is no property manager, the, um, the, the tenant is supposed to remit the withholding tax directly to the CRA, supposedly. And what happens if they don't? If they don't, the, the CRA could go after, uh, the CRA likely would first go after the land, landlord, uh, the owner, um, but then, because the landlord is uh, offshore, then they have the ability to go after the tenant themselves right. too. Right, which, which could provide a lot of problems for unsophisticated tenants who are certainly not aware of this issue. And, and I would say the vast, vast majority of tenants are not sophisticated in tax matters, so it's mm-hmm. a real surprise, right? Yes, but so, in most cases, uh, these foreign owners do have property managers. Right. And where there is an agent collecting the rent, uh, the able, the CRA could go, because the CRA have the power to go after the agent, it is usually the agent, this property manager, 
who would manage and make sure the the necessary withholding is made to the CRA um, every month. Right. Most property managers are very aware of this legal requirement and, and quite good at it in our experience. And so that's good. Mm-hmm. But what, what about filing of tax returns? Right. So the the foreign owner could choose to not file. And if they not if they don't file, the 25% of gross rent will be their um, final Canadian tax liability. But that's usually to their detriment because they're often, if they take into account uh, all the rental ex- expenses and depreciation and so forth, and, and the Canadian income tax bracket marginal rates, they would end up, like the, the correct tax liability would be lower than this gross withholding. So it is to the advantage to choose to file a Canadian return, uh, what is called a Section 216 return, to report their rental net income and calculate their proper Canadian income tax liability uh, on this, and on this ha- rental profits. And do they have to do a positive election or request something in advance of filing that or get no, permission? The, the return, even though it is an election, the return itself is the election. Gotcha, gotcha. And then they would compare that net rental, uh, net tax liability compared to their, uh, the amount already withheld. And in most cases, the amount withheld is more than the actual tax liability, and then the CRA will refund the difference. Gotcha. So it's usually uh, in the best interest of, like you've already said, the, the non-resident to file a Section 216 return. So become aware of that and, mm-hmm. and on a timely basis file so as to get any excess withholdings back. Yeah. There's also, if, you, if, they, look, if they do the research on the internet, there's also an NR6 process where... Um, at the beginning of every year, they can ask, they can write to the CRA, there's a special form, I think, to request, to, to tell the CRA that they're committed to filing this 216 return at the end of the year, and then, and estimate for the CRA their, their estimated rental profit for the year, and then request the CRA's approval to only withhold 25% on the net profit. Um, the problem with this process is it takes, I think it takes a couple months for the CLA to approve and you need to do this every year. And it's, it's quite a hassle to do. Uh, sh- sure, it, it, it would definitely help in the cash flow. Once CLA approve, uh, then you can remit on the net, but you need to repeat this process every year. And we just find most of the clients just opt to not bother with it and just right. withhold on the whole gross and then get it back anyways when they file their tax return. Yeah, that's certainly my experience as well, Kenneth. Now, what happens if, you know, the foreigner buys the Canadian real estate? You know, maybe they don't rent it. Maybe they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and if they rent it, they go through the process that you've talked about. But they decide to sell. Mm. What, what's, you know, what are some of the things that they need to think about? Are they subject to Canadian tax when they sell? Yes. How come? So- What's the, the section ca- of the act, Kenneth? Two, two sub three of the Income hey, Tax Act. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, a Canadian, sorry, a non-resident of Canada is usually not subject to Canadian tax. However, there are certain things that they would be. These under two, section two, subsection three of the act, a non-resident of Canada is subject to Canadian income tax on Canadian employment income, Canadian business income, and also any taxable capital gain on taxable Canadian property. 
on the disposition of taxable Canadian property. Disposition of yeah. taxable Canadian yeah. property. And what is taxable Canadian property? Uh, it's, it's usually anything that is, de- that derives their value from Canadian dirt, like Canadian real estate, Canadian resource property, Canadian timber resources. So Canadian cottage that you own, that the foreigner own personally is definitely taxable Canadian property. Right. And on that sale, they will be subject to Canadian income tax on any capital gain. Uh, but on top of that, because this, the Canada Revenue Agency, it's, it's hard for CRA to chase after a foreigner. So CRA wants that tax upfront. And that is called a Section 116 compliance and remittance process. Uh, so what is required is that when um, on the sale of a property, the purchaser of the property have to remit 25% of the gross purchase price right. of the entire property to the CRA within 10 days. Yeah of the uh, purchase, unless within 10 days after the closing, the seller produce a compliance certificate or certificate of compliance from the CRA. Commonly referred to as a clearance certificate. Yeah, but it's it's actually is a certificate of compliance because clearance certificate is a different thing that's issued to uh, trustees and executors. Exactly. Uh, But how how would a CRA issue a, this certificate of compliance under Section 116 of the Income Tax Act? So what the seller needs to do is, um, the seller should, like, ideally should, as early as possible, once they know the sale price um, and the closing date, right to, or approximate closing date, right to the CRA, for this pro, um, to give CRA all the information about their cost base, about the the sale price about um, and confirm to the CRA whether they did proper withholding in the past on rent, any rental income because that's a question on the form uh, and, and, and remit 25% of the estimated gain on the sale to be, to be closed and give everything to the CRA and I think the form is called T2062 correct yeah and then the CRA will take their time and hopefully, within 10 days of closing, they will issue their certificate of compliance so that the purchaser will not have to remit 25% to the CRA and instead give, um, give all the money to the seller. Right. So it's a bit of a hassle. The U.S. has a similar regime, commonly known as FERPTA, and most jurisdictions around the world who have sophisticated tax systems reserve the right to tax dispositions of their dirt and have similar type withholding systems. And so it is very, very important to go through this process. Let me tell you a little story, Kenneth. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard my story before, but this is a true story. Um, So I was buying a new house in Calgary. And just to make the calculations easy, I'll I'll say the purchase price was a million dollars. And in real life, it was different, obviously. But a million dollar purchase price. And when my wife and I walked through, uh, when we were looking at the house, it was vacant. And, uh, and we ultimately ended up putting an offer down and it got accepted. And, and Kenneth, you know the, uh, the whole process of real estate. Um, you, know, you sign the, the ultimate purchase and sale agreements and one of the caveats that, that uh, the vendor, sorry, that the vendor signs or 
usually is I am not a non-resident of Canada. There's that kind of disclosure. Double negative. Mm -hmm. I am not a non-resident of Canada. So I, as the purchaser, my wife, were in the midst of signing this. And all of a sudden, I looked at that clause and I thought, hmm, I haven't asked my lawyer whether or not they've inquired if the, uh, if the vendor is a non-resident of Canada. And the property was vacant. Hmm. I better just do a little due diligence here. So I phoned up my lawyer, my real estate lawyer, and I said, hey, have you inquired whether or not uh, the vendor is a non-resident of Canada? Before I sign this, you know, I want to make sure that, that they're, uh, because the property is vacant. Where are these guys? Is it a rental property? What is it? So the lawyer calls up the other lawyer on the other side and turns out that these people lived in Australia. The vendors <laughs> lived in Australia. And they had become non-residents of Canada. They had actually filed uh, as non-residents of Canada. And uh, so thank God I asked the question. Because Kenneth, if I hadn't, if I had mm -hmm. signed that purchase and sale agreement and closed the transaction, how much would that house have cost me? Instead of a million dollars, what would it have cost me? It would you know, cost you um, at least $1.25 million. Exactly. At least because you would be subject to interest. At least, yeah. If not so very similar to the rent withholding, where the mm -hmm. tenants that we've already talked about uh, are subject to the, you know, they could be subject to the remittances if they're not remitted. I, as the Canadian purchaser, in a worst case scenario, could be subject to the withholding of twenty five percent of the gross purchase amount if they're, you know, if the vendors decided not to remit or CRA was unsuccessful in chasing them. So what do you think I did? Because this was about three days before the closing. <laughs> so certainly a 116 uh, certificate, section 116 hadn't been, right. hadn't been obtained. So what do you think I did? You would, well, you, you told your lawyer that you're going to withhold, you probably told her you're going to withhold 25% yeah. with your seller, with, with your lawyer's trust account until the buyer can show probably a because when the CRA receive the Section 116 certificate, nowadays, because the CRA is so delayed, they would issue a letter back saying, we acknowledge that you have filed your certificate of compliance request. Um, you, and then sometimes it says you may, often it will say you may have the uh, buyer withhold 25% with their lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and then we will take our time to review your certificate of compliance right. request. There's actually some provisions in Section 116 that require the remittance within 30 days. Yeah, 30. Not, I, I mentioned 10 earlier. It should yeah. be 30. Yeah. Well, 30 days after the close. Yes. And so that's what I told our lawyer is, okay, uh, there's no way they're going to get the certificate of compliance in 30 days. So just remit the whole thing, the 250 to, to the CRO. Oh, you actually remit? Yeah. Oh. We, we remitted. So then it becomes the purchaser's problem, right? Yeah. Or uh, sorry, they, not the purchaser, the vendor. I, I was the purchaser, yeah, the vendor's yeah. problem. Yeah, last time I helped a client try to get that uh, Section 116 refund back, it took the, it took two years. Yeah, was, uh, but at so, least it wasn't my problem, right? Yeah. At least yeah. the house didn't cost mm -hmm. me 1.25 instead of 1. So that is something to keep in mind. And, and uh, you know, me as a tax guy, you know, three days before the close, I, <laughs> I asked the question and thank God I asked the question. So yeah. it's something that's commonly missed. Yeah, the, the so, buyer's lawyers... Should if the buyer's lawyer should have should told have, yeah. the buyer a long time ago that they needed to they should have to start but, that process. But that would have become my problem. All right, let's move on. Kenneth, we've we often talk about and we have podcasted on this as well, about owning vacation property through a Canadian company. So let's say you've got a foreigner 
that owns vacation property and, and you know you had said earlier that you know one of the easy ways to do it is to own it personally but what if they decide to hold it through either a Canadian company or let's say a US company like a US mm -hmm. LLC because they live in the states or let's say they live in the UK and they decide to own it through a UK company mm -hmm. um, any issues there I mean certainly we podcasted saying that if it's a Canadian owning a vacation property through their Canadian company, that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. And there's just no simple way around that. There's no, I had to, I had to tell a client yesterday that, uh, because they're, they were educated by their accountant that, uh, that there's ways around that. And I said, no, there's not. No, there, there is, it's just painful, painful ways around it, paying, paying rate of proper rate of return. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you're right. And that's what I said. He said, no, there's no easy way around this. So in any event, what happens in a situation like that, where you've got a foreigner that owns the Canadian property through one of their domestic, let's say it's US or UK company, for example. Yeah. Well, the surprising result is the same shareholder benefit issue arise, but with a different consequence. So. Uh, the issue with a Canadian uh, shareholder uh, having their corporation own a personal use property is Section 15, Sub 1 of the Income Tax Act that says if a shareholder, well, sorry, if, a con if a corporation confers any benefit on a shareholder, the shareholder is um, considered to have received income equal to that benefit. Now that section, 15 Sub 1, does not limit its application to only Canadian shareholder or even Canadian corporation. Right. So in theory, it applies to any corporation in the world or any shareholder in the world for any property in the right. world for that matter, actually. Right. So on that point, Kenneth, that's exactly my read of it. We had a recent file. I had a recent file where it was a foreigner buying a Canadian vacation property and they wanted to buy it through their US LLC. Mm -hmm. And so you and I took a look at it and said, hmm, there's a risk here that could be a significant taxable benefit. Right. But then the listener, you may ask, who cares? Non-residents of Canada or non-resident corporations are not subject to uh, Canadian income tax unless it is like carrying on business in Canada. Right. And let's say this is not. This, right. uh, if it's carrying, doing Airbnb, then yes. But this, let's say this is not. It's just personal use. Yeah. So and what frankly, is, the is there any benefit? Like just standing back for a second. I mean, you can certainly see the benefit if you're a Canadian and you use, um, you know, a Canadian company to buy a personal use property and you're using corporate monies to buy it. There's clearly a benefit there. And it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But where is, actually, where is there actually a benefit if you use a foreign company to buy a Canadian residential real estate from a Canadian perspective? Where's the Canadian taxable benefit? Like, the, 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 no, no, there's no tax there, there benefit. There shouldn't be, right? No, no, unless they, unless it's either commercial reasons because they, they're afraid that someone would slip and fall right. at home. But even then, is it, a, is it, is, like, in order to be taxable, I always say to students, there has to be some sort of economic enrichment, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's the foundation of personal income tax or even corporate income tax is that the government is going to tax the economic enrichment. But where is the economic enrichment when you have a foreigner that buys a Canadian personal use property, a vacation property, through one of the, like a, let's say a US LLC? I just don't see it. Unless on the sale, right? And there's a gain on the sale. And yeah. at that time, it will be taxed, no right. matter who owns it. Yeah, but outside one. of that, there's none. Exactly. Yeah. So 
so how, however, going back to what we've already said, technically on, uh, on a strict read of the Income Tax Act, there is. No, and then, and then, but then the part where there, it actually matters is because, as I, as we said, non-residents are not taxed in right. Canada. There is a second provision that becomes applicable, and that is uh, Section two fourteen, uh, two hundred fourteen, subsection three, paragraph A, that says whenever there is a uh, Section fifteen sub one shareholder benefit, that amount of the benefit is deemed to be um, deemed to have been paid to that shareholder as a dividend from a corporation resident in Canada. So think about that. So the US LLC that owns the Canadian vacation property, there is technically a 15-1 benefit. We could debate what the hell that benefit is. I mean, one would argue it's zero, but obviously CRA would take a different view. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to be subject to Canadian tax in this case if there's a withholding tax. And 214 sub 3 says that it's that 15-1 benefit is deemed to be paid as a dividend from a corporation that is resident in Canada. So the US LLC for this purpose is deemed to be resident in Canada, which then means that it's got a withholding tax obligation to pay to Canada. Mm -hmm. Clever. Yeah. Very clever. Mm -hmm. But is it right? Like, I mean, I, I would argue it's not wrong. Like, as you mentioned, economic benefit. Isn't economic some, enrichment. Okay, and economic enrichment. Isn't the ability to use a property uh, rent-free? Well, rent-free. Right? Keep in mind why I say rent-free is because from a Canadian pers perspective, the LLC owns the property and the shareholder personally used the property for free. And yeah. Canada is saying, okay, Share, Mr. Shareholder, personally, you have an economic enrichment and we'll make sure Canada get a piece of that. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a stretch, Kenneth, but I see where your head is on that for sure. But Because t tell me then, um, what is the econ uh, what is the, isn't it the same economic enrichment if this is a Canadian shareholder? It is. Canadian corporation, Canada, Canadian cottage? It is, but as I already said earlier on, and you and I podcasted on this earlier, Canada has jurisdiction over that company. And the alternative would be that there would be dividends paid or some sort of other remuneration paid out of that Canadian company, taxes paid, and then the after-tax money is used to buy that company, or sorry, that mm -hmm. property. In this case, Canada has no right to tax that LLC surplus or even to tax the dividends or whatever uh, that would come out of that company. And so I just see no economic enrichment that is available to Canada and so, in any event, all to say that technically there is an issue, and mm -hmm. technically, yes, Canada has a right to tax. I mean, one can quibble about the quantum of the of mm -hmm. the economic enrichment in this case. But and you can probably argue it is the treaty reduced rate because it's deemed deemed to be a company resident in Canada, paid to a U.S. Yeah, individual. So, so maybe it's fifteen percent, not twenty five. Could be that. So this question, uh, as you know, and some, some listeners know that I've been involved in the Society of Trust and State Practitioners STEP Canada CRA Roundtable for years. And at the most recent one in June of 2023, we actually posed this question and said, hey, uh, CRA, is there a taxable benefit here if you have a foreigner that owns Canadian residential property through a foreign company? 
And the short answer is yes, there is. Yeah, CRE and confirmed. The CRE confirmed it. And so, yeah. so uh, I guess the short answer or, or short message from us is be careful out there. Uh, mm -hmm. We've gone over our time here, Kenneth, so maybe we should probably wrap up. But, you know, this is a surprisingly commonplace issue, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're advising clients or if you happen to be a foreigner that's listening to this, be very, very careful of walking into these Canadian tax traps uh, when you deal with it. So, so once again, Kenneth, thank you. Uh, thank hope, you, Kim. Hope our listeners got some value out of this and have a great day.